0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Thank you, Henny. When I was thinking of who to honor with reading the scripture for my final sermon here, I thought about many names, many of you, but... One name rose above the rest. So, um, I preached this text, this psalm, almost uh, nine years ago to the day uh, when I candidated to come here as your associate pastor. The day was uh, just the day before Halloween. I remember making final preparations in the Charnholms basement, and all these, all these like seventeen and eighteen year old near adults dressed up in costumes coming to the door throughout the night. I thought, Utah is a unique place. <laughs> um, I preached a sermon then that I didn't think was very good, and you still called me here. That was one bit of grace among many from you to me over the years. Um, I, we are very, very thankful for this church. Now, I need to say all that, but I need to preach. You didn't come here this morning hear a valedictorian speech at a graduation, you came to hear from God. So let me me pray for that. Father, I do pray with a thankful heart, I pray, um, would you please speak? Would you please open your word to us, and would you preach to our hearts by your Spirit When you enliven the Word, make it three-dimensional to us, make it sing, make it live within us, start with me, and change us, shape us, change our perspective, change our sight, change our hopes, change our leanings, change our bent. Do a big work here now, I pray. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the changes that it has made in my life. I am just a sinner saved by Your grace, and that is an amazing thing. So, I, say, I ask, would You please do more work now by Your grace for the sake of Your name, for the sake of Your cause within this church and outside of this church, will You please do this? Cause me to fade into the background and cause your face to become what we see here now, we pray. Amen. So this psalm is part of the psalms of ascents, the psalms of going up. The psalmist is going to Zion, to Jerusalem, the city of David, the city of God's anointed, God's king. And Jerusalem, sat up to this day, sits up on a hill, so you have to go up. To Jerusalem, thus the Psalms of ascents, the Psalms of people who are going up to Jerusalem. The author is a son of Korah. The sons of Korah, the Korah Heights were doorkeepers in the temple, and in, in the temple precincts in the city of Jerusalem. We don't know why he's not there, but he's not. He's on the road home. He's on the road back to the city of God's anointed, He's journeying home. I'm told that it was Ralph Waldo Emerson who wrote, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And I think that this psalmist would very respectfully, humbly, and joyfully disagree with our dear American transcendentalist. Um, I think he would say, this son of Korah, instead, it's the destination that shapes the journey. It's the destination that determines whether we find joy and strength along the journey. It's the destination that determines whether we find ourselves along the way or lose ourselves. For the journey, the destination, means everything. So I want us to to walk alongside this son of Korah this morning and just listen. He's the kind of person we should listen to. He's, He's found hope. That is authentic and it is not weak. Though the journey is hard, there is power in his hope. So let's walk with him. Let's, let's listen to him talk about the destination, the journey, and the effect. The effect that the destination has on our journey. Destination, journey, and effect. The psalmist begins by by reveling in the destination, which is a place of absolute blessing. And this is our first point. The only destination of ultimate blessing is God Himself. The only destination of ultimate blessing is God Himself. The psalmist is musing in his mind on just how lovely Zion is, verse 1, because God is there. The courts of the Lord, verse 2, are not beautiful because of their architecture. They're beautiful because God is beautiful. God is not just beautiful. God is not just lovely. God is beauty and loveliness incarnate. He is the source and substance of every other beauty, every other form of loveliness that there is. He is that. So this... The psalmist, he longs to be in the presence of, of the courts of the Lord because he longs to be in the presence of this God who is beauty. And this God is a living God. He is a living God who is real and active and alive and has a personality and has characteristics and priorities. He has things that he finds very, very important. And the character quality that the psalmist thinks about most is Grace. The favor of this God. Verse 3. The gatekeeper is probably remembering some moment in the past when he was guarding some door and noticed a sparrow flittering around the temple. And he sees the sparrow finally land right close to the altar of God. A sparrow. In those days, the most worthless animal, the most common unworthy being that there was, a sparrow, finding a place in the house of God, the most unworthy, finding a place in this Lord of hosts, the commander of infinite armies of angels, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of all, offers his home to an unworthy sparrow remembers this and he just revels in it. what kind of God this is, what kind of God this is, what grace this is. Grace, the welcoming of the unworthy as a gift alone. But this God doesn't stop there. Verse 11, he is a sun and a shield, which means he gives favor, he gives grace, but then he doubles down on that and he, and he turns the tables on the whole world on this whole issue of unworthiness and he, and he honors, he bestows honor on the unworthy. God honors the sparrow with a home at his altar. The most unworthy living being in the most honored place in God's house why because of grace because he wants to because it glorifies him and then it's as if this god says you know what take the whole house Eh, take it all i withhold no good thing from you verse 11 no good thing i withhold nothing all that is mine is yours because all that is mine is good i withhold no good thing from you it's all yours so no wonder the psalmist says in verse 4, whoever dwells in your house, oh God, is truly blessed. Whoever lives under the roof of such a generous benefactor who welcomes the most unworthy beings into your most holy place and then honors them with glory and then on top of that, lavishes them with all that is yours. I, I was trying to think when I was preparing this, what is a bigger word than blessed? Because it bankrupts the word the grace of God, the generosity of this God. We don't have a word for it. I don't think any language properly has a word to describe it. Here in the courts of God is blessing because God himself is blessing. Heaven without God would be hell. Because it's God that is in himself all that we are made for, all that we long for, all that we ought to love. But we look for everywhere else, it is God. So blessed is anyone, anyone, no matter your past, no matter what you've done, no matter what you did last night, blessed is the one who dwells in the house of this God. Blessed. So it's no wonder then that the psalmist puts a a selah right here at verse 4 because he wants us to just stop and noodle on this. Just take it in again. Take a few moments and, and ponder it because everything else in his world and in our world, but especially in our world, everything else is vying for your eyeballs to fix your eyeballs on anything else, anything else. Everything else is, is screaming out to us, blessed are you if you have this new blank, if you binge watch this show, wh- whatever. But the psalmist is encouraging us just to sit a spell, just to sit a spell and remember where ultimate blessing actually lies. There is only one place. It's God himself. A simple truth that we would all head nod to but a simple truth that we need to stop and remember again so do that and if you don't know who this god is if you don't know this god the psalmist is making a making a joyful dare to you i i dare you i dare you to find your satisfaction in him. I dare you to make this God your destination. Find what you're looking for, what you've been searching for in every other dark corner that's just left you empty and dissatisfied. I dare you, search for it in him and you will find it because it's there. Come, come. Walk along with me and live. Trust in the life of this living God and no blessing that will satisfy you forever come. But if you do know this, God, the psalmist wants us to meditate on this, to sing with the song that we just sang. And then if you're like me, I think, and I'm not there yet. I'm still on the road. And sometimes the road sucks. It's hard. The Psalmist is realistic about that too, and I'd, I'd love him for it. So he has realistic encouragement for us to endure, because the road is hard and it is long, and this leads us to the second point. The road to Zion is hard and is endured by trusting God's anointed. The road to Zion is hard and is endured by trusting God's anointed. road is hard. And you can feel it in the psalmist's words. He longs for and he faints for the courts of the Lord, verse 2. And verse 5, he's he's still traveling through the valley of Baca, the the valley of dryness. That word means the desert, a metaphor for life before heaven. The psalm is realistic for us because becoming converted becoming born again becoming a child of this generous father does not remove god's people from the dry and dusty barren path it doesn't life is still like highway 80 driving west between the salt flats that's what it's like and he knows it this is not a pollyanna and and so let's be honest conversion only makes that path harder You you can feel this tension that the psalmist feels between this joy of God himself and this exhausted, impatient. Aren't we there yet? When do we get there? He's not wrong for feeling this way. We, we, We feel joy because God is so good and we feel a right impatience, a right dissatisfaction. I don't like driving through these salt flats. Exactly. Because the salt flats are no longer our home. We're going somewhere else. So there is joy and there is hard. Both are true. Both are right. And then along the path, we can hear the sounds of the parties coming from the tents of the wicked. Verse 10, which just makes the path even harder because it sets up another tension. Again, I... I know me and I know you because I know me and I, those tents don't look that bad. They look pretty good. It would feel so nice just to camp out for a while, to make the road my home for just a bit. So, to be clear here, when the psalmist says the tents of the wicked, he's not referring to people who are, um, you know, doing their really bad sins. He's not talking about, you know, like brothels. He's just talking about any life, any person who, instead of finding their home in God, makes their home on the road that leads to God. The tents of the wicked are wicked not because of their particular sins, but because they reject the extravagant blessing of this God. They exchanged that destination for here and now. That's what makes it so wicked, to reject such extravagant blessing that we were just talking about, that makes it wicked. And so, I have to be honest with myself as I think about this, we, me, who, who is in Christ, I am a pastor, a longtime Christian. I am daily drawn to the tents of the wicked, to pitch my tent over there, to leave the road to make the road my home. I I feel this constant pull, a constant tension that I have to resist every day. It's, it's, It's as if I'm haunted by another me, another me who's always got the car packed with all the camping equipment. And resisting this tension is exhausting. But again, this tension is because I'm converted. Before God, life was easier because I wasn't just camping. I owned the tent. I, I was, that's where I lived. That's where you lived. So I seek to, to resist the call of the tents of the wicked now because God has me, has you traveling to a new destination, a new home. So now we, we've been replaced. We, we, we've re- replaced this, this old dissatisfaction, this old um, emptiness that sin left us with, with a new dissatisfaction, a, a new lack of a new emptiness, a new lack of fullness. But that, that new emptiness, that new dissatisfaction is good and holy because we're not there yet. That's true, and this is normal Christianity. So don't believe the pseudo-Christian pablum that says that life in God is all joy and that it should not be hard. For, for the pilgrim walking towards God our joy grows. Our joy grows over time, but the hardness grows too. But the hardness is not bad. Joy is still joy. Hard is still hard, but the hard is not bad. The bad comes when we stop resisting, when we make our home along the road. And when we do this, when we leave the road, we not only lose our way, we lose ourselves. We lose who we are. We bifurcate. We split. Now we we don't need to go off to Vegas to be a prodigal son. We don't need to go anywhere. We need only pursue the American dream. Just stay where you're at and make your home here. We need only to make the things that are meant to serve our way to God to instead be our gods. We need only do that and we'll find ourselves a long way from home and a long way from ourselves. Dissatisfied and broken. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it every day. So what then? What do we do when we find ourselves off the road? What do we do when we find ourselves eating the food of pigs? Well, we remember the unworthy sparrow and the God who welcomes it. And then we cry out to this God. Look to the other Selah in verse eight. We cry out to him. God, this road is hard, harder than I thought it would be, harder than it was sold to me to be. This is harder And it's only getting harder. Help, I've wandered off. Where am I? Where am I? And then there's this strange prayer of verse 9. The psalmist prays, he doesn't pray, God, look on me. God, look on me. He says, God, look upon your anointed. God, look upon your king who resides in Zion. What is he he saying? His logic is, God, look upon your anointed one in Zion. Bless him that I may be blessed. Because I know that in his kingdom, all who are in his kingdom are blessed. So will you bless him? I cannot do it. I am not able. I am weak. I am feeble. Help, bless him that I may be blessed. Where is this going? We keep reading our Bibles and we discover that God did, in fact, bring his king to Jerusalem. And he did bless him. But first he crushed him. Before he looked upon him, he looked his face away from him and crushed him on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. But also so the curtain of the temple might be torn in two and so that access for all the unworthy ones might be gained right into the altar of God. He crushed him first, looked his face away, but then after three days, he looked upon his anointed and raised him from the dead. Raised him from the dead, not just to bestow favor and honor upon him, but to bestow favor and honor upon all who would trust in him. This is glorious news. Glorious news. And so now in Ephesians, you read the first verses of Ephesians and it says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing, just like this psalm, blessing, blessing, blessing. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in God's King, this greater David, Jesus, raised from the dead for you, for me. Life in him, life by being united to this one, to this great King. So it is no wonder that the psalmist says, God bless him so that you would bless me. Blessed is the one who trusts in Jesus because all that is his is now ours. For anyone who trusts in him, God unites that one to him. All that is Jesus's is now ours. His death to sin, his resurrection life, his glory, his honor, his favor, his access to God, his inheritance, all that he deserves as God's firstborn son is now ours in Christ. God withholds no good thing from us because he withholds no good thing from his son. Man, this is good news. So then, at this moment, when we so feebly cry out, even in a whisper, we find that this God responds by kicking off his sandals and running towards us right out of Zion to grab hold of us. James K.A. Smith writes that Jesus is the shout of God, the way that God runs out to meet us, shouting in response to our whispering cries, saying, I've got you! I'm coming! he sends his anointed one and then united to him he carries us home he carries us home from his heavenly throne this raised and resurrected and ascended Christ orchestrates every step of the journey so that verse 7 every one of his children appears before God in Zion he does it he does it We endure then by fixing our hope on our destination on God through Christ. Blessed is the one who trusts in Him. Blessed is the one who says, O Lord, look upon your anointed that I might be blessed. So, a few questions then. A few questions for you. Where are you Where are you? Are you home? Or are you on your way home? Which is it? Where are you? Second question. When are you? Are you there yet? Or are you enduring the long road until you are home? Which is it? When are you? And lastly, whose are you? Are you on your own, living in your own tent? Or are you Christ's? Because if you are his, you are being carried and supplied to share in his glorious inheritance. Upon that last question, these last three questions, hangs everything, hangs our destiny. Where are you? When are you? Whose are you? He supplies us along the way, and He will bring us home. This brings us to the third point. Our hope in the destination empowers us for the journey. Our hope in the destination empowers us for the journey. At first, we think that we cannot do it. As the road gets harder, we are tempted to think this, and we are tempted to give up. And pitch our tents alongside the road. But then as we hope in Christ, as we rest in our union with Christ, as we hope in our destination, something happens. As we fix our eyes on God in Christ, we are changed. We're transformed and we become more fit for the journey as time goes on. We become more fit to endure. Even as we travel between the salt flats of life, we make them a place of springs, verse 6, joyful in the face of the long, dusty road. We experience joy, and others experience joy through us. In fact, this is, this is the only way to experience true enjoyment in the things of earth, by ironically not making the road our home because then we're not putting more weight on the things of earth than they were designed to bear for us. We no longer look for ultimate joy from the road, but we can give thanks for the things of earth. We can have joy in them because under the sovereign lordship of Christ, they now, all of them, serve us on our way towards home. So we can give thanks for them, but never putting our ultimate satisfaction, our ultimate joy, our full weight upon them, because they can't bear it anyway, and they only serve us to where true blessing is found. Ironically, it frees us to enjoy them. But we also experience joy because this hope frees us from the burden of self-regard. The road now is hard enough, but we only make it harder by, by carrying our own weight and by constantly tracking for ourselves our sufferings and our indignities and injustices when we remember that the road is not our destination, that this will soon end, when we remember that we are not defined by the road, but by God's grace to us, the burden is lifted. This burden of self-regard is lifted. And that is a heavy burden to lose. It is a heavy burden to lose and we discover with joy that it is replaced by a light burden that Jesus gives us and we find that it is light and it is easy to carry. He is a good Savior who carries us home. And along with joy comes strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We weren't saved just to just to stay out of the tents of the wicked. Salvation is not just a a fix to keep us out of the ditches. It's learning to travel well to the right destination. That's what we were saved for, because the road takes us to God. That's what we were saved for, for God. And as we learn to travel well, we find that our sufferings, even the worst of them, come to serve us. God takes our sufferings and he turns them upside down. He reverses the devil's intentions in them. And these sufferings become an occasion for us to go from strength to strength, as it says in verse 7, from strength to deeper strength to deeper strength. God actually uses the difficulties of the road to equip us, to make us fit to endure yet still more. Not having strength in ourselves, but strength from hope, from looking upon the face of our anointed. The last effect is uprightness. The end of verse 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, it says. Now you say, aha, there's the catch. Uprightly. You got to walk uprightly, I see. No. As, as, we, as we go to resist the, tempts, the tents of the wicked, To get off the road, the the, the temptation to make the road our home, hope empowers us. This this hope of heaven empowers us to say, no, heaven is better. Hope comes first. And as we hope in God, as we hope and we choose to say by faith, no, the destination will be better, God will be better than the tents of the wicked, we learn to take one step further on the road and then another step then another step, and then another step. It's hard, but you put one in front of the other by hope, another by hope, another by hope, and pretty soon you've gained ground, and pretty soon the trajectory of of your life looks like an upright life. Hope comes first. It's the faith in the promise of verse 11 that transforms us into people who actually are the people of verse 11. We walk uprightly, blameless, not perfect, but always repenting. Always repenting in a life of repentance, a life of repentance towards God. Towards God. Our blessing. Towards Zion. That's how we travel. The road to Zion is paved with many toils and snares. But grace, grace will lead us home. The grace of God in Christ will lead us home. I want to make one final observation in conclusion. This psalm is not written to you. It is written to us as a merry or maybe sometimes not merry band of travelers walking together along this road. This is not written to individuals. This is written to God's people together. My beloved friends, I, don't ever forget how much you are needed by each other. Please don't ever forget that. Press on towards Christ. God in Christ together. Together. The road is long enough and hard enough. We need not make it harder by walking it alone. We're never intended for that. Walk together in Christ. I want to I close by reading to you the, the second to last chapter, a section of it from Pilgrim's Progress where Christian and his friend Hopeful have come to a great river before the gate of the celestial city. John Bunyan writes this. So I saw in my dream that they went on together till they came in sight of the gate. Now I further saw that betwixt them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over. The river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much astounded, but the men that went with them said, you must go through or you cannot come at the gate. The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to despond in their minds and looked this way and that, but that no way could be found by them which they might escape the river. Then they asked the men if the waters were all of a depth. They said, no. Yet they could not help them in that case for they said you shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of the place. They then addressed themselves to the water and entering Christian began to sink and crying out to his good friend hopeful he said I sink in deep waters the billows go over my head all his waves go over me. Then said the other be of good cheer my brother I feel the bottom and it is good. Then said Christian, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have encompassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian, so that he could not see before him. Also, here he, in great measure, lost his senses, so that he could neither see nor remember nor orderly talk of any of those sweet refreshments that he had met with on the way of his pilgrimage." But all the words that he spake still tended to discover that he had horror of mind and hearty fears that he should die in that river and never obtain entrance in at the gate. Here also, as they stood by perceived, he was much, uh, he was much in the troublesome thoughts of the sins that he had committed, both since and before he began to be a pilgrim. "'Twas also observed that he was troubled with apparitions of hobgoblins and evil spirits, for ever and anon he would intimate so much by words. Hopeful, therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yea, sometimes he would be gone quite down, and then ere a while he would rise up again half dead. Hopeful also would endeavor to comfort him, saying, "'Brother, I see the gate and men standing by it to receive us.'" But Christian would answer, "'Tis you, tis you they wait for. You have been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you," said he to Christian. "'Ah, brother,' said he, "'surely if I was right, "'he would now arise to help me. "'But for my sins, "'he hath brought me into the snare "'and hath left me.'" Then said Hopeful, "'These troubles and distresses "'that you go through in these waters "'are no sign that God has forsaken you, "'but are sent to try you.'" Whether you will call to mind that which heretofore you have received of his goodness, and live upon him in your distresses. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was as in a muse a while, to whom also hopeful added this word, be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that, Christian break out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again, and he tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. Then they both took courage, and the enemy was after that as still as a stone until they were gone over. Christian therefore presently found ground to stand upon, and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus they got over. Now upon the bank of the river on the other side, they saw the two shining men again who there waited for them. Wherefore, being come up out of the river, they saluted them, saying, We are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those that shall be heirs of salvation. Thus they went along towards the gate. Now you must note the city stood upon a mighty hill, but the pilgrims went up that hill with ease because they had these two men to lead them up by the arms Also they had left their mortal garments behind them in the river for though they went in with them they came out without them. They therefore went up here with much agility and speed though the foundation upon which the city was framed was higher than the clouds. They therefore went up through the regions of the air sweetly talking as they went being comforted because they safely got over the river and had such glorious companions to attend them. My dear brothers and sisters, I pray, I pray that you would pray, oh God, look upon the face of your anointed and that your faith and your hope would rest upon him. For if you would, if we would do this together, this will all be our destiny. And may this destiny shape every step of the road we take from here on out. May his grace be with us all. Let me pray. Oh, Father, blessed be your name, a God who holds forth for us all by your grace, all by your generous choice. Blessed be the name of this God who holds forth for us such a wondrous destiny a destiny of glory and honor, a destiny of extravagant, extravagant generosity and love. You are a good, good Father beyond words. I thank you, and I thank you, therefore, in your generosity for giving us your Son and for uniting us by faith to him so that we will find Purchase in the river that we will go through. Our feet will find purchase and we will make it to the other side and we will ascend to the celestial city and we will be there with you forever. You will do it. So I thank you. I thank you that we can rest and trust in you. Blessed be your name. Cause your name to be hallowed here cause your kingdom to be enlarged through this body cause your will to be done here we pray in your blessed name amen
0: thank you for listening to this message by pastor steve clark of the evangelical free church of salt lake city in salt lake city utah